Well, good morning. Good to worship with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors here. I'll be preaching today and I'm excited to do that. Uh, first, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, in two weeks, we're having our men's chili cook-off. And so men, dust off those recipes and get ready for our chili cook-off. There are prizes involved. And so if you want to, make an, uh, if you want to enter a chili, a chili into the contest, please talk to Sean Fenner. If you need help figuring out who that is, I can help you with that. Uh, if you just want to come and eat, then please do that as well. It's going to be a fun night of fellowship. So that is on the 21st uh, right here at the church. Also, we've started our New Testament reading plan for the year. The plan is to read through all 260 chapters of the New Testament uh, over the next 365-ish days. Or is this 366 this year? It's a leap year. Okay. So uh, we get an extra day. That's even better. So uh, one chapter a day, five days a week is the plan. If you want to keep track with us at the uh, welcome booth in the back of the uh, fellowship area there, you can get the reading plan on a little bookmark and go from there. We'd love to have you join us in that. Also, you know, we just, I just want to draw attention. We're coming out of a, what's a really, I think to a lot of people, special time of year. And um, it's important to stop and, and just appreciate what has just happened. And I'm speaking, of course, of fantasy football season. <laughs> we have a fantasy football league here at the church. Uh, it's just a good opportunity to have some fun together and, and just enjoy kind of getting on each other. And um, I just want to take time to honor uh, this year's champion. And so, Chris, if you want to go ahead and, and put that slide up on the screen. As <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're not familiar with fantasy football, it takes a lot of intelligence and leadership skills to win a fantasy football league. And it's well agreed upon that those skills transcend into real life. And so um, we're just really thankful for that opportunity. Anyhow, that was just for fun. I do want to get into the word together now that you find it impossible to take me serious. Uh, I do want to get into the word together. So what we're going to do the next few weeks is we're going to talk about what we, what we call the discipleship pathway. Spiritual growth has a lot of similarities to natural human development. And, and when we study human development or talk about human development, we talk about the expected stages of growth that a human being goes, to, goes through. And there's, of course, certain mile markers along the way when a child uh, first learns to walk or when a teenager gets their driver's license or when you buy your first home, start your first job. These are like milestones of human development. And the, the expectation is that every baby that is born does not remain an infant and does not remain immature, but grows through this path of human development. Of course, there are many things that can interrupt that development. It doesn't always happen in a real clear, linear way as the way we expect. For, for example, one of my daughters started walking uh, at nine months. The other one started walking at six years old. And so things can happen very differently. I remember one time, when I, I think I was about 12 years old and we were visiting family down in Georgia. Many of you know my, my, uh, my mom's from Georgia and so half of my family lives down there and we'd go there all the time as kids. 
uh, and visit. And I remember one summer we went and visited and my younger cousin, remember I'm 12 years old. My younger cousin had his own truck, like a real one, <laughs> a five-speed manual. And we had so much fun that the family had some property, I don't know, a couple dozen acres maybe, and a long like a gravel driveway that went down to a creek. And we just drove all around in that thing. Here, he was years away from being able to legally drive. So things don't always happen in a real expected order. And the same is true of our spiritual development. Spiritually, we are to use the language that Jesus, is, Jesus uses. The beginning of our spiritual journey is when we are born again. So much like we have to be born into this world, we have to be born again to begin the process of spiritual growth. And then there are stages of spiritual growth with their, each with their own sort of mile markers along the way that tell tell us we're growing, we're experiencing uh, the maturation process as, as believers. And so the discipleship pathway is an attempt to kind of put that down on paper and say, this is what spiritual growth typically looks like. This is the pathway that it usually follows. Just like our own human development, there can be a lot of things that happen out of order or things that happen at different times than they might happen for other people. But yet, it's, it's helpful, I think, to understand what are the expectations? What does it mean to grow into maturity in Christ? Something the New Testament talks about often. And so that's what we wanna do here. We wanna start at the beginning of the year. Next, next week, I'm gonna introduce you to a tool, a couple of tools. We've put together sort of an image that we think describes or, or, or displays this spiritual um, pathway that, that we're on. And then there's also uh, some tools that we're gonna give you online that'll help you kind of identify where you're at and what are some areas that might be worth giving attention to if you want to grow in 2024. It'd be kind of like a spiritual mirror that you can hold up in front of yourself and say, okay, I see where I'm at. Here's some steps that I need to consider taking. To do that, each, each of, uh, uh, there's, there's four major stages of spiritual development that we've identified, and each of those stages requires an action in order to advance to the next stage. And those, those four actions are going to serve as the outline of this sermon series. And so we're going to talk about things like responding to the gospel. We're going to talk about things like being baptized as a Christian. We're gonna talk about what it means to take initiative as followers of Christ. And then finally, we wanna talk about the command, ultimately, that we're all given to reproduce and to help make other disciples. And so we'll spend at least one week on each of those four actions. And I think there's probably gonna be a couple of other messages that get thrown in here as we go through this. But today, I wanna talk about our need to respond. Everybody responds to Jesus in one way or another. Everybody responds to the message of the gospel. But there are different ways of responding. And today I wanna, I wanna look at three. But before we do that, I, I wanna begin with the, the command to respond to the gospel. If you have a Bible in front of you, you can turn to Mark chapter one. Today, I mean, feel free. I always encourage you to open a Bible if you have one in front of you. But we are gonna jump around a little bit today. So you might find it easier just to follow along 
on the screen. But let me read Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. It says this, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus actually commands a specific response to the gospel. That that response that he commands is to repent and believe. If you have the handout in front of you, you'll notice that's the first set of fill in the blanks that you'll see on the handout. Jesus commands us to repent and believe. Now that doesn't mean everybody does that. That's what we're gonna spend most of our time talking about today, the, the other ways that we often respond to the gospel. But we need to start with the understanding that Jesus does not, Jesus does not come from heaven to earth, live, live the life that, that he was commanded to live by the Father, to die the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sins. He doesn't rise from the grave on the third day, ascend into heaven, and then just say, do whatever you want with that. However you feel about what I've done, that's totally up to you. It is, of course, totally up to you. You can choose to respond any way that you want, but we need to understand that Jesus has commanded a specific response. And that specific response is to repent and believe. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, to those who do such, to those who do repent and believe, he gives the gift of eternal life. John says in the beginning of his gospel, he gives the right to become children of God. We're actually brought into God's family. Our inheritance is the inheritance that Jesus has due to him because of his obedience. We're, we're given incredible privilege. Our sins are washed away. We're given new life. We're, we're, we're brought into service in his kingdom. Our lives take on new meaning. We have heaven and eternal life to look forward to, but only if we repent and believe as Jesus commanded. So what stops us from doing so? What stops us? Because, listen, I, it, I've been a Christian now for, I think, about 27 years. And, uh, but I remember well what my attitude towards the gospel was before I became a Christian, before I surrendered to Christ and began to live my life for him. I remember my attitude was, yeah, maybe someday. It was sort of apathetic. It wasn't that I didn't believe the gospel. It wasn't that I didn't believe what Jesus had done for me. It's that I honestly just didn't care that much. I was just gonna live my life the way that I wanted to live my life. And then I thought maybe one day, one day I'll respond to this invitation or what I now know is a command to repent and believe. That's one way we respond, but people respond a lot of different ways. Let's look at a couple of examples from Scripture. I want to look at three examples from Scripture of how people responded to Jesus and the gospel. The first comes in John chapter 18. I encourage you, you could jot down these references. might be helpful to go back and look at them at some point in the week, especially if one of them seems to resonate with you. But John chapter 18, starting in verse 33 it says, then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus 
and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now you gotta understand what's happening here. Pilate is, is the Roman governor in charge of Jerusalem and he is the representative of the Roman Empire tasked with keeping order in Jerusalem in the surrounding area. And so he has the authority of the law. He has the authority of the Roman Empire on his side. And he has been brought a religious prisoner. The Jews have, have brought Jesus before him to accuse him of certain religious crimes. So Pilate summons Jesus and he says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, verse 34, are you asking this on your own or have, have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that it wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, Pilate said. We have to understand, Pilate's not asking a, a legitimate question here. He's making a statement. Here's Pilate who's, part of the heart of this Roman world in which everybody had their own version of the truth. And it was okay to believe whatever you wanted as long as you accepted what other people believed. Does that sound familiar? It's a lot like the world we live in today. Truth is all relative and your truth and their truth and his truth and her truth. And everybody has their own version of the truth and it appears as though Pilate has long given up on the idea of being able to know truth. And so Jesus says, I testify to the truth. That's the reason I came into this world. Furthermore, he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate just throws up his hands and says, oh, we're gonna talk about truth. You see, Pilate responded to Jesus with skepticism. It's the next thing you'll see on the handout if you're following along and taking notes. Pilate responded to Jesus with skepticism. You get the impression as you read this story, especially if you, if you read the verses that come after this, there was a part of Pilate that wanted to believe Jesus and yet his, his mind had, had become so filled with skepticism that even in the presence of the truth, the creator of everything that is, the one who spoke into existence, the very universe in which Pilate lived, when he is standing face to face with the eternal truth, his skepticism said, how can we possibly know truth? What is truth? Could you imagine here Pilate had this opportunity to know and to worship the eternal God. He had the chance to stand face to face with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And yet he responded with skepticism. 
as unfortunate that is for Pilate, we still find the same thing takes place again and again and again today. Maybe you are the one who responds to Jesus with skepticism. And there can, there can be, I guess you could say there can be positive skepticism. I want to explore this truth. I have, I have questions, but I'm open. And there can be negative skepticism, which says, ah, how could anybody know? You say this God, they say that God. What's the point? Well, the point is, Jesus commands everyone to repent and to believe. And skepticism can become the enemy of belief. It can facilitate belief if handled in the right way, but that's not what Pilate does. Pilate uses this as a reason to end the conversation. Pilate uses this as a reason to turn away from the truth which is standing right in front of him. How often do we see people refuse to come to Jesus because of their skepticism? If where skepticism exists, we must use that as, as, a, as, a, as an avenue, as a way to take us to the truth. Where skepticism exists, we must take the best of skepticism, which is a curiosity to know, and we must follow that to its rightful conclusions. And the good news is, is that the gospel is true. The good news is, is that the Bible is true. And so skepticism can help us, can help affirm what we, what we are commanded to believe or it can become an excuse. Nobody has ever rejected the gospel because there weren't sufficient answers to their questions about faith. They've perhaps rejected the gospel because they did not seek out or did not do enough diligence to come to those answers. But there remains no unanswerable questions that are sufficient to keep us from believing the good news of the gospel. Are there things we don't know or can't know in this life? Oh, absolutely. Are there, are there, are there things we don't know or can't know that that ultimately should keep us from believing the gospel? No. Yet Pilate, Pilate seems to not want to know the truth. There are other ways that we can respond to the gospel. I want to take you to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we're going to hear a story about a man who's commonly called the rich young ruler. He has a different response. This is not skepticism. Let's read it together. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you, do you notice the difference in posture. This man eagerly comes up to Jesus. He kneels before him. He pays him, he pays him respect in saying, good teacher. And then he asks him an important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. This is Jesus's answer to the question. The question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Here's a man who had kept many of God's commands as Jesus rattled them off. You can almost see his excitement growing. I've done that, I've done that, I'm doing that. Uh, uh, This is looking pretty good. I want to inherit eternal life. And Jesus is saying, I must first do all the things that I'm already doing, in fact, have done since I was a young boy. And isn't it interesting that Mark points out that looking at him, Jesus loved him. Jesus, John tells us in his gospel, Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to give life. He did not come to condemn this man. However, he knows this man's heart and he knows that there is yet one command he has failed to keep. That is the command to have no other gods before the one true God. This man cared more about his possessions than he did about God. He cared more about remaining rich in this world than he did about following Jesus. And so Jesus says, go, sell all you have, give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. And how did he respond? He went away grieving because he had many possessions. Here's an example of a guy, not, he's not like Pilate, who Pilate just his skepticism overcomes his belief and he, and he says, well, we're just never gonna know. How, how could we come to any reasonable conclusion about these things? Here's a guy who acknowledges who Jesus is. He comes to him asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, who do you ask that question of? This is a man who has great belief in who Jesus is and, and he walks away not confused by the commands of following Jesus. He walks away unwilling. His response is not skepticism. The rich young rulers you see on the handout responded to Jesus with rejection. He understands clearly what it means to follow Jesus. He understands perhaps more than a lot of other people at the time who Jesus is. And yet he is unwilling. He is unwilling to part with his material wealth in order to follow Jesus. How many people do you know who, skepticism's not their problem. It's it's not as if they don't understand the gospel or they don't believe the gospel or they have questions about the gospel, they have questions about faith, they have questions about the Bible. It's not any of that. They know exactly what it means to follow Jesus. And they know exactly who he is. And yet their response is, I don't want to. For me, that was, that was the issue. For me, it wasn't skepticism. I knew who Jesus was. I, I, as long as I can remember, I believed the gospel. 
surrender my life to Jesus? No. Want, want to follow him and do things his way and for his glory? No. I was like the rich young ruler. Except I wasn't rich and I wasn't a ruler. <laughs> I was just young. I knew what it meant to follow Jesus and that's why I didn't want to do it. I loved the things of the world more than I loved Jesus. And as he often does, Jesus has his way of peeling back and, and, and helping me not love the things of the world so much. And then I was ready to respond, but that's not where this guy's at. That's not where he's at. He's in this place where I get it. I understand the gospel clearly. Jesus just gave him specific instructions on how to follow him. It was like a very simple what, two-step plan. Three, let's call it three steps. Sell everything you have, give all that money to the poor, follow me. Perhaps you can relate to why that would have been such a hard thing to do. Perhaps possessions or wealth have taken the place that only God deserves in your own heart to the point where you say, I don't wanna do that. I would not part with my worldly possessions. I would not give up my wealth to follow Jesus. This man walks away grieving. Far too often, we don't even do that. We don't even grieve. Some of us have presumed upon God's mercy in such a way that we think we can, we can have the same response as the rich young ruler and not suffer the same fate. We think we can have both. We can have our idols, the things that we value more than God, and have God. It doesn't work that way. Jesus gave this young man a choice and he chose. And with his choice, he rejected Jesus. So Pilate responds with skepticism. The rich young ruler responds with rejection. Now let's look at a positive example. Let me give you a positive example of somebody who responded to Jesus quite differently. Luke chapter 19. Turn in your Bible to Luke 19 verse one. The story goes like this. It's a pretty familiar story if you grew up around church. If you didn't grow up around church, it might seem a little bit weird. But in, uh, in Sunday school, we had this song. This is about, this story's about a man named Zacchaeus. And the thing about Zacchaeus is he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Some of you heard that song before. Well, I want, take, take, take the, that image of, your Sunday school teacher with her flannel graph or whatever it was that she used and just try to set that aside for a moment and hear this, hear this story anew because it's a beautiful picture of how we are to respond to Jesus. It goes like this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. 
So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Do you see how different his response is? This man, the, the, the rich young ruler comes up also very eagerly to Jesus, but he is eager to have Jesus approve of what he has done with his life. This man knows he's a sinner. Everybody else knows he's a sinner. Tax collectors were some of the most despised people among the Jews at that time because they were Jewish people who had betrayed their own people and got rich collecting taxes off of the Jews for Rome. And so this man was not well-liked. As you see, the immediate response to Jesus talking to this guy is he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus' response to Jesus is immediately, he says, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. This is a man who knows what God requires in Old Testament law. He is responding accordingly. The, the, the penalty or the payment for robbing somebody was to pay back four times as much. This man is expressing repentance. I'm coming back to the Lord, he's saying with these words. And, and as I do, I will obey his commands. Zacchaeus, you'll see on the handout, responded to Jesus with repentance and belief. Pilate wasn't real sure who Jesus was. The rich young ruler knew exactly who Jesus was, but wasn't willing to pay the price. Zacchaeus he knows who Jesus is, he believes who Jesus is, and he responds with repentance. He lays his sin before this Jesus. He knows exactly what Jesus would have to say to him. He's not like the rich young ruler. He doesn't need to ask. He knows where he's broken the law. He's honest about that, and he's ready to repent. To repent for Zacchaeus means not just to ask forgiveness, but in this case, it means to seek to make amends. He has within his power to, to some degree, reverse the damage. All those people complaining, why is Jesus eating with this guy who's a sinner? I bet they weren't complaining once they saw the fruit of Zacchaeus's repentance as he began to repay those that he had wronged, as he began to, to show generosity towards the poor. And Jesus' response, today salvation has come to this house. Three different men, three different responses. Skepticism, rejection, and finally someone who obeyed Jesus' command, repentance and belief. But the important question is, not how did they respond, the important question is, how do you respond to Jesus? The reason I wanted to explore these three different ways of responding is because 
each of us have a similar decision to make. How are we going to respond to the good news of the gospel? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come down from heaven. He has entered into his creation in order to save his creation from itself. He has entered in to live the life that you and I fail to live before God. He has entered in to pay the price for the sins that we have committed against God. And he has entered in to rise from the dead to be able to give eternal life to everyone who responds with repentance and belief. So how do you respond? Will you be like Pilate in the face of the way, the truth, and the life? Will you be like the rich young ruler, unwilling, unwilling to let go of that which so quickly fades? Had the rich young ruler chosen Jesus that day, he would be eternally wealthy now but he chose a possession which he ceased to possess a long, long time ago. Do not make the mistake of allowing skepticism to keep you from faith in Jesus. Do not make the mistake of allowing the love for the things of this world keep you from eternal life in Jesus. Follow in the footsteps of Zacchaeus. See Jesus for who he is, the son of God, the sinless son of God who died in your place. See Jesus for who he is, the one who can give eternal life, the one who gives new birth, the one who birthed you into a lifetime of spiritual growth, into maturity in Christ, the one who invites you into his eternal kingdom. Believe and repent. Believe that he is who he says he is and turn away from everything that would keep you from knowing him in this life and in the life to come. Would you mind just for a few moments, close your eyes here today just so that no one's thinking about anybody else around them. I just want you to focus on your relationship with the Lord. The first action step that you need to take to grow into spiritual maturity is you need to respond to the gospel by believing that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what the Bible says he did, and that he can give you eternal life. If today you feel called to respond in that way, if today you feel called to respond to the gospel by trusting in Jesus Christ to be your savior, I wanna pray with you. And in order for me to know who I'm praying with and for you to have an opportunity to take a step of faith, I just wanna encourage you, if that's you today, you wanna respond to the gospel and receive Jesus Christ for salvation, would you just slip up your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Is there anyone else that would like to pray today to receive Jesus Christ for salvation? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Those of you who raise your hand and anyone else who wants to pray along, would you join us in this prayer? Jesus,
I believe you are the sinless son of God. That you came and died for my sins on the cross so that I could be forgiven and have eternal life. Today, I not only believe, but I repent. I turn from the things that keep me from following you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to give me the gift of eternal life. And help me and teach me what it means to live my life for you. Today, I make you the Lord of my life and I pledge my allegiance to you and you alone. Thank you for loving me such. Thank you for loving me to the point of dying on the cross for me. I receive you today as my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Those of you who prayed along with me, I just want you to know I'm excited for you because I believe what the Bible says that, that when we do that, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're given new life. We're born again. And that new life for me has been the best thing ever. <laughs> and I want to encourage you to make, make known that you took that step today.